peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the uh, uh, patience with the long um, announcements. If you have your Bibles, we're going to finish 2 Corinthians today. Will you open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? I think I did the first six verses um, last week, but I want to just keep it in context. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. Can you imagine going to a church that the Apostle Paul was the pastor of and not liking it, having a problem with it? Well, that was exactly what was, yeah, right? So I see the look on some of your faces like, well, you know, you know what's comforting for me as a pastor is that even the Apostle Paul and some of his churches had people that didn't like him. I'm like, okay, when they don't like me, if they didn't like Paul, what can I expect? <laughs> I'm no Apostle Paul. But you know what? The fascinating thing is that even in Jesus' own ministry, people got offended and didn't like what he was doing. In John chapter 5, he feeds the 5,000. And then in John chapter 6, the, the, the crowd comes back. And, and, and they expect Jesus basically to dance for them. And they're saying, dance, Jesus, dance, perform miracles, multiply, do, do cool stuff. And they thought it was a circus. And Jesus understood that their hearts were there for the wrong reason. And they came because he had, he had multiplied the, the, the fish and the loaves the day before that. And they wanted just to see more miracles. And so on purpose, he didn't do any miracles and he didn't do multiplication. And it said the crowd left offended and, and mad. Now, again, if you can go to Paul's church and you can go to Jesus's church and, and leave offended, then, then, you know, if you're the type of person and you've been everywhere and everybody offends you, and everywhere you go, there's a problem. I have a suggestion for you. Get out a mirror because that's where you'll find the problem. And, and there's no perfect church and there's no perfect pastor. And, 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 and sometimes, the, you know, you go and you go where God plants you and you serve. And, and, and so Jesus, in this, you know, after that, he looks at his disciples. And one of my favorite, favorite sayings and responses in all the Bible. And he looks at his own disciples and he uses that as a teaching lesson as the crowd leaves and they're offended. And he says, are you also offended? Do you also want to go? Who knows what Peter said? Oh, it's so good. Amen, amen, amen. Across the room, where would I go, Lord? You have the words to eternal life. Where would I go? You know, sometimes people get angry with the Lord. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And sometimes the response, you know, we talked about last week, I think I really kind of, jumped on it with two feet and smacked the pulpit a little bit about trusting God no matter when, no matter where, no matter why, no matter how. And if something difficult happens in your life, decide now that you're going to walk with the Lord and trust the Lord. But you know what? Unfortunately, we, we, we sometimes we want to know why. Why, God? And I'm just going to warn you. You know, and I, I don't want to offend anybody needlessly. I don't mind offending you if it's for good reason. But I don't want to needlessly offend you. But if you find yourself, and I think it's natural. You know, I think it's very natural. I think even Lydia, when her mom passed away, was a very mature believer in Jesus, even at that point in her life. You know, she had already met me, and I got to pour into her and give her Jesus, and got to raise her up and help her, you know. And I mean, I know she was born a pastor's kid and in church every day of her life, and her mom and dad served Jesus. But when I got around, she really gained some maturity. But, you know, she felt, she felt the feeling of, of why, God natural comes up but listen as we mature in christ we 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 really we want to it's it's not a good it's not it's not a good way to process why god why god and and i think sometimes god might even tell you why and you can ask him as long as you understand that your why doesn't turn into bitterness in your heart because god's not going to god's word doesn't tell you or promise you that he's going to tell you why things are happening 
He just says, trust me. And, and for a million different ways, he says all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. And he gave you the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, of all kinds of trouble and hard things that you now have 20-20 vision that you can look back in and build your faith and see where hard things happen. And in the end, God showed up faithful. And God is going to show up faithful in your situation if you trust and believe him. And be careful with the why. It's, it's actually, if you get in, stuck in it, it's a little sign of immaturity as a believer. Why, why, God, why? And it'll get you in trouble. Trust the Lord. Know the Lord. So, anyways, um, they're coming. They're complaining. They don't like Paul's church. And, and remember we talked about this group called the Judaizers. You remember what else I called them? The second in guys. Second to, the word to second in. The second ones, they'd come in after Paul. Paul would build a church. He would gather people begin to teach them, and, and rather than go do that for themselves, they would come in, and they were always attacking Paul. And so as you guys know, all of chapter 11, Paul is defending himself to this church, Corinth, that he planted against these Judaizers, these second-in folks. In chapter 11, it's physical, and he tells them all the physical things that he went through. Remember the list. I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils of city, in perils of da 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 And so he goes through in chapter 11 physical things that he went through to say, I'm not weak in Jesus. Five times I was beaten with rods, 40 times, 40 times minus one. Five times I was beaten with rods flogged 39 times on five different occasions. I'm not weak. And I got up and continued to serve the Lord. When we get into chapter 12, when he says, I know a man, whether in the, in the, um, I know a man, whether, whether or not in the body, I do not know. He was in Acts chapter 13 in Lystra and they had stoned him to death. His disciples are standing around him or the other disciples are standing around him, not the apostles and Paul's friends. And as as Paul is laying there dead, they're positive that, that he's dead. And he has this experience, whether in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know where he's caught up into the third heaven. And he heard things that were inexpressible to repeat. And then as his friends are standing there in Lystra, and Paul's been stoned. And I mean, how many rocks, not big rocks, hand-sized rocks do you have to throw at a person to kill them? And how many lumps and bruises do you have over your body? And Paul stands up, and they're like, he's alive! And what does Paul say? Go to Acts 13 and read it. He says, let's go back to Lystra and preach the gospel of Jesus. Like, I'm not weak. Like, I rise from the dead and preach the gospel. I think, you know, I think sometimes some of us might get stoned to death and go to heaven and come back and rise up and say, I need a nap in a Starbucks, man. Let's go to the beach for a couple days and then we'll go back to Lystra and preach the gospel. So he spends 11 boasting in the flesh that, that he was not weak and, and, and again fighting these Judaizers and these second in. Well, in chapter 12, he's going to do the same thing but on a different kind of front. Now he's going to talk about spiritual things that he faced. In the spirit we face things. Sometimes we face things in the flesh. Right? You know, one of the ways that Satan buffets us or attacks us, one of the ways that he's attacked me over the years in ministry is through physical sickness. And there's times where, you know, I physically get sick. One of the times I had the biggest opportunity to do ministry in my life as a pastor, I had like four different teaching um, opportunities. I was traveling. I was teaching a men's retreat. I was teaching a Sunday morning at another church. That week I got sicker than I'd ever gotten in my entire life. And those types of things. And then when you're, when you're physically sick, and sometimes Satan attacks us that way. Other times, it's, it's an emotional, it's a depression, it's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual weakness. It's something in the spirit that Satan comes at us with. And so Paul now, in chapter 12, is talking about those things um, in the spirit. Now, um, 
Let's read chapter 12. I got one more rabbit trail I got to take before we start. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. Um, in, In that list of things that Paul went through, now, one of the things that Paul, that we understand is that those that God can really trust the most seems like they go through a lot more. And that God uses a lot of things, of those of trials and tribulations in their lives. And, you know, does God use blessing or, or trials in your life to produce patience and character? Well, the answer is he uses both. But, but as Paul went through these terrible things, and as you and I go through terrible things, I, I want to draw just a line. Again, this is a rabbit trail, parenthetically, to kind of where we're at. But I think it's important. God put it on my heart this week to share this with you guys, so I'll try to be brief with it. But there's, there's a huge difference biblically between the trials and tribulations that Paul faced that you and I will face as Christ followers and the wrath of God. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus said in this life you will have trouble or tribulation, depending on your, your version, trouble or tribulation. That's what Paul experienced was that tribulation and that trouble. In, in the book of Revelation, from, Je- from Revelation chapter 6 to 19, it chronicles a seven-year period of human history called the Tribulation or the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. And in that tribulation, God is going to pour out His wrath upon mankind. The wrath that God pours out upon mankind is like no other. The first thing that happens in Revelation chapter 6 is the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride. And after the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been released from heaven and ride on the earth, one-third of the earth's population is dead. And so, huge difference between tribulation and wrath of God. And the reason why I share that is because some folks like to sensationalize and some folks like to say that, oh, we're in the tribulation period now. And the first two seals have been broken. And coronavirus is a part of all this. And um, and I just don't... Listen, there's a huge difference. In Revelation chapter 6, the wrath of God is absolutely poured out. One of the reasons why very staunch pre-tribulation rapture doctrine and theology, and no matter where you stand or where you believe on your, your rapture theology, it doesn't, it's, it's a non-essential issue. We're brothers in Christ that we have more in common than we don't have. We're going to serve the same But in, in the, I'm teasing, but in that, one of the reasons is, is this whole idea of wrath. The Bible's pretty clear. Listen, tribulation, how do you know the difference between tribulation and wrath? I'll give you the very simplest, easiest answer. The difference between tribulation is, and wrath is tribulation you will face, wrath you will not face. Tribulation you will see, wrath you won't see. That's the difference. You will go up in the rapture if you're a born-again believer in Christ before God pours out His wrath. And the Bible is very clear that we're not appointed to wrath. And for those that, that, that try to put us in the tribulation later and, and the three and a half year mark or later in the tribulation, one of the big problems they have to solve is, is that the, the Bible is super clear that God has not appointed you to wrath. You're the bride of Christ. And God is not going to ask you to marry him as a bride and then beat you up for three and a half years before he takes you to the honeymoon. How many of you get beat up for three and a half years before your husband takes you to the honeymoon? Uh, no, thanks. So, so you're not appointed to wrath, and Revelation 6, the wrath begins. It says it right in the chapter, the wrath of God. So anyways, all right, rabbit trail, done. Hey, let's pick it up in verse 7. We already covered Paul's um, um, excursion to heaven. Um, I did want to say this. Let's look at verse 4, 12, 4. Let's start there. How he was caught up into paradise. That's a word that Jesus also used, again, describing heaven, and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, 
Um, one of the things that I hear as a pastor about heaven, we talked about heaven a little bit last week. Somebody came up to me after church here in the lobby as, as we were walking out, and people were saying, good sermon, pastor, good sermon, pastor. And one people, you suck, pastor. You no, I'm just kidding. I, I appreciate the encouragement. I have a couple of folks that every week they encourage me, and it, it really makes me feel good. And then I go home, and my wife tells me how I really did. But it's, it's good for you guys to help me out, balance that out a little bit when you come through and encourage me as you leave. I, I do appreciate it. Um, but have you guys ever heard, or maybe anybody have the opinion, like, they're worried about heaven? I have people like, I don't want to go to heaven. And are like, it's like the Bible says, this is what the Bible says about heaven. There's no more sea there. People that are surfers, they're like, there's no ocean, there's no sea there. Man. Or how about the Bible says, some of you guys that just are blissfully married, and the Bible says, Jesus said, in heaven there's no marrying or giving in marriage. I mean, that bums you out a little bit. You know? Some of, some of you are like, no, nope, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> My wife laughed a little too hard at that joke. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, I, I don't want you to, you know, hopefully by now you have enough, again, just maturity and encouragement that you never have to have those feelings about heaven. I don't know how, I, I've never experienced that. Like, I understand heaven is going to be way better than this place. Like, there's no comparison. I'm not going to miss any of those things. By the way, there's no, um, no sea, but the Bible does say there's, there's a sea of glass. There's a uh, water, you know, a sea of glass, so that maybe there'll be waves on there, and surfers can ride that. They can go ride them little waves. I'm going to ride shooting stars through the galaxy, personally. I'm going to swim in the deepest parts of the ocean and explore the world. I mean, you know, um, but what if I told you, you know, Paul says here that I saw things and I heard things while I was caught up in the third heaven that would be unlawful for a man to explain. You know, how would you explain colors to a blind person? How would you explain somebody who's never seen what purple is? Or what orange is. And so Paul says, I just, I'm not even going to try. I, I, it, it, it'd be inexpressible. But Paul was an, was an intellect as well, right? And Paul would have had to write like 27 chapters to articulate what he wanted to say. John, on the other hand, the revelator, old man John, he was, he was, he was a dreamer. And so he told us what he saw in heaven. He, he showed the scene and, and explained it. But what if, what if I told you, um, like, there's no more marriage, there's no more sea? What if I said to you, you know, there's going to be no more back in the day. There's no more black and white TVs. Oh, man, no more black and white TVs? No, it's going to get replaced with color. If I told you there will be no more 8-tracks. <laughs> How many of you in the back, in the teenage section, know what an 8-track is? One person. <laughs> Actually, I'm just right past 8-track. I was like from 8-track to, uh, to cassettes, yeah, still a lot of vinyl. When CD came in. But, anyways, any of those things that God's going to take, He's going to replace them with something way better. Let's look at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So, Paul dealt with some kind of um, infirmity, some kind of trouble. He calls it here a thorn in the flesh. That word thorn is not like a, a, a rose thorn. It's actually the term is used for a tent spike. And a tent spike in the, in the desert are these big spikes they would put in tents to hold them down. So Paul says, I have a big, huge tent spike that's, that's in me. And it's buffeting me. It's a messenger from Satan. Paul says, Paul says that God allowed it so that I wouldn't get too, um, I wouldn't get too haughty. You know, as many things as God used Paul for, one of the struggles that he might have had was his pride wanting to take credit for the amazing things that God did through his life. So what did God do? 
God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. You know, the Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Now, um, I, I'm not really sure how to flesh that out, but I, 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 I've been through it enough. I no longer ask God to humble me. I say, Lord, I'll humble myself. And the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. I remember one time we had a church softball league, and it was like the championship game. And I was a decent softball player in my younger days, and I'm playing shortstop, and we're playing against the really good team. The whole church comes out because it's a championship team, and I'm standing on shortstop. First pitch is getting ready to, ready to go, and I'm saying, Lord, I know I'm just going to kill it today, but will you, will you, will you keep me humble? You know, when I'm, when I'm hitting home runs and throwing people out at short and doing amazing things and turning doubles, will you, will you keep me humble today, Lord, in this softball game with the whole church watching? I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. I've, I could catch a softball. I could not, if it was coming right at my face, it would have hit me in the eye. Routine grounders coming right at me. I couldn't catch them. I was kicking them. I threw the ball in this game to first base. It flies over the first baseman's head, over the dugout, and hits a girl in the neck butterflies in my stomach. It was the worst. I don't know what happened. And after that day, I said, Lord, I will never ask you to humble me again. I am so beyond humble. I'll humble myself. But I'm not sure where that got into, but Paul, I guess where I'm coming from is that Paul, I think God will allow things in your life to keep you humble. And God says that he resists the proud and he uplifts the humble. And one of the, one of the characteristics as Christ followers that we're supposed to embrace is humility. And that we're supposed to be humble. You know, we, you can be a humble beast and, you know, you, you can be honest as, as well. The things you're good at, things you do well. But humility is a quality that, that God wants and he resists pride. And actually pride, um, I think if we were kind of trying to flesh out the level of which sin is the worst in, in the Bible, pride is at the top. And the reason why I would say that is because pride is the sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven ultimately. And, and so many times in your life, you can trace back what your sin is and what your struggle is to an issue of pride. So if you have pride issues, they have to be dealt with. You have to humble yourself. You have to ask God to deal with these things in your life. And so, um, so Paul allows sometimes, or God allows sometimes, things to happen in our lives to keep us humble. Okay? So you can humble yourself or God can do it for you. What's your choice? Stay humble. Be a humble beast for Jesus. Amen? Now, what was this? Um, thorn in the flesh that Paul dealt with. I'll tell you exactly what it is. We don't know. We don't know. Because the Bible doesn't tell us. And I think the Bible, when, when the Bible leaves out details, it's not on accident. It's on purpose. There's a reason for that. And one of the reasons that, that I think the reason that we don't know exactly what it is is because it would keyhole Paul's thorn in the flesh and, and, and oh, that's something that Paul dealt with and I don't have to deal with that. But the, the fact that we don't know what it is, now it's, it's relevant for all of us. Now, whatever your thorn in the flesh is, you can identify with Paul in this place. And I think for some of us, we, we can have thorns in the flesh. They can be physical things in our life, physical ailments and sicknesses and diseases and, and disabilities and things like that that, 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 that um, are a thorn in our flesh. Addiction can be a thorn in your flesh. Lust can be a thorn in your flesh. You can bring things about your own life that are thorns in your flesh. And, and, and God will deal with those things. Now, the Apostle Paul says here, he prayed three times that God would remove it. And now, this is a Jewish idiom here, and it comes from the Old Testament. But basically, it doesn't mean I only, he only prayed three times and stopped. I prayed three times. I prayed four. I prayed one. It's a, it's a Jewish idiom to mean that, that I just on and on and on prayed for God to remove this thorn in his flesh. He could have prayed 300 times. 
for this. But, but it's listed as three. Now, who else prayed three times that something would happen? Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times that this cup should pass from him. But nevertheless, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, I've heard some of these faith teachers and, and, and preachers, we talked about them last week, some of the, 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 the weaknesses with this teaching. They, they say that if you pray to be healed and you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. You need more faith. I want to tell you, if, if one person had enough faith to be healed, it was the Apostle Paul. And so if the Apostle, if that's true, you're, you're telling me the Apostle Paul lacked faith? Eh. You've been weighed and found wanting. Chuck, Chuck, Bindu, you're out. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't fly. Apostle Paul didn't, it wasn't a lack of faith. It was the will of God in Paul's life. I'm going to show you why in a minute. And again, if Paul prayed three times and God didn't answer, and Jesus prayed three times and God didn't answer his prayer, it's not a lack of faith. So sometimes in your life, if, if, if God doesn't show up and do exactly what you've asked him to do, it's not because you lack faith. Now, we're called to have faith. We're called to pray and believe in faith, the things that we ask God for. If you pray according to faith, you have the answer. You have the will of God in your life. That God will answer your prayers and he'll do what you ask. But it's not a lack of faith. Now, look... Um, it says, concerning verse 8, this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Look at your neighbor and say, my grace? my grace? Never mind, I don't have any. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what does this mean? That God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, God says, first of all, that he's, he's innocent in, in that he didn't do anything wrong to Paul. That Paul, I, I've treated you well. I've treated you with integrity and honesty and, and justice, and I haven't done you wrong. How many of you guys um, have kids, or you, you have a feeling at times, life's not fair, right? And hopefully you have somebody in your life that'll say, yeah, life's not fair, suck it up. Never supposed to be fair. Nobody ever promised you life would be fair. You know, some of you guys are, look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and some of you look like me. That's just not fair. Right? But I like tacos, so I eat tacos and you don't. That's not fair either. But life's not supposed to be fair. God's not fair. God is just. And so God is saying, first of all, to Paul, that my grace is sufficient for thee. But listen what this, this really, the concept of this idea means. The idea is, Paul, my presence, listen, so important, you guys. This is something I, I preach all the time, the most important thing, the only thing. There's no words to describe how valuable and important it is. It's not the only thing. It's far past that. It's not the best thing. It's beyond that. I don't have words to describe it, but the most important thing in your life is the presence of God, that God's presence be with you in everything you do. You want to know if, you're, if your day is going to go well? Then, then if God shows up, your day's going to go really well. Like, you know, things are going to, God's going to bless you. Every time I get on this stage, God, don't let me walk on that stage if you're not going to go with me. I one time said, God said, Chris, I'm standing right next to you. And if he's not standing right there, I don't want to be standing right here. Because it's the presence of God. And that's what, Paul, that's what God is telling Paul. Paul, my presence is with you. My grace is sufficient for you because I'm with you. Now, if Paul lived with a thorn in the flesh, what do you think it forced him to do in his life? What do you think it forced him to do when he got up in the morning? To pray. To talk to God, to, to read the Word, to seek God, to, to be relational and personal with God in His life. And if you're going through something in your life that God is allowing, I guarantee you're closer to Jesus than you were before this thing started. 
I guarantee you that now you, you, you rely, you count on God's presence, and you need God's presence, and it causes you to pray. It, and God allows that. Amen. Don't be whine that. Don't, you know, don't, don't boohoo that. If, if you are going through something, then, then it's going to force you to pray. It's going to force you to need God and pray God's presence. So that's what God is telling Paul here. Um, and then he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may be upon me. Now, there, there's, if you read chapter 11 and you read chapter 12, you, you might get a little confused because in 11, Paul is boasting in strength. And in chapter 11 or chapter 12, he's boasting in weakness. And you're like, what is it, Paul? Are you, like, are you Jekyll and Hyde? How come it was all about strength in 11, all about weakness in 12? Well, the difference is in 11, he was talking about his what? His flesh. In chapter 12, he's talking about his spirit. Blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are the humble. And so Paul is um, talking about his spiritual things that when we're weak, that God is made strong. And that when, when, when we lack, that God shows up strong, right? It's like the children of Israel standing at the, re- at the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is bearing down. Complete weakness. They are going to die. There's only one way they're not going to die. And that's if God shows up and does a miracle. There's only one way. You want to be in a position in your life as a Christ follower, I'm telling you, where you're in trouble and the only way you're going to get out of it is if God shows up and does a miracle. That's a good place to be. That's a place of faith in your life. And so, so Paul is, is, is in this place. And then verse 10 says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Father, forgive me. I'm not there yet. One day, Lord. Any of you guys take pleasure and your infirmities, maybe you're mature in Jesus and you just figured it out, man. Things are going hard and you just, yahoo! Shot a nail gun through my big toe today! Woohoo! I don't know. Yeah, but, but, but Paul, in his maturity, understood, you know? And, and, and right, right? To, like, how cool would it be just to have that attitude in life? I take pleasure in my infirmities. Things are going wrong. Jesus is good. Jesus is causing me to be closer to him today. I'm just going to dig into Jesus today, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to whine. I don't have it harder than everybody else, and just that, that really up, upbeat, good attitude about things that go on in your life, and it's, it's, a, it's a decision that you make before they happen so that when you get into some stuff, you, you don't get poor meitis, and you don't start feeling sorry for yourself and making everybody around you miserable. And then he goes on, and he says, um, again, at the end of verse 10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, um, quickly, in life, the, one of the lessons is that every one of you has weaknesses and strengths. That's human nature. Every one of us. As we, um, we have a, a staff, you know, we, we identify our staff and, and we identify within our staff that everybody has certain strengths and, and certain weaknesses. And so we try to play to people's strengths and put them in places where they're strong and, and, and where they're weakness. And, and sometimes our, our greatest strength can be our greatest weakness. You know, what's fascinating, I won't have time to really dig into it today, but um, lots of examples in the Bible where the people were the strongest is where they fell. Abraham was the father of what? Faith. Father of faith. He was a father of nations, but he was known as the father of faith. Abraham's biggest failure in his life was in what area? Area of faith. Right? And, and so on and on and on. Peter, in his, in his, he was bold. Peter was a bull in a china closet. And who tripped him up? A little girl, you know, is a rough, tough fisherman. And, and, and so in, in every area, and, and so many examples, P- 
People where they're the strongest is oftentimes where we fall, where we have our, our weaknesses as well. I don't know, maybe part of the reason is that because you rely on the flesh too much in those areas. You know, I'm not tempted in that area, and I got this. Oh, but man, I'm really tempted in this area. Lord, help me in this area. In the areas you're weak in, you're constantly asking for God's presence and God's help, and you're covering that area in prayer. And maybe, we're, maybe we rely on the flesh too much in our areas of strength, and that can be a, a, a recipe for falling and disaster in that area. And then um, Paul says in verse 11, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought not to have boasted. So he said, your fault I'm boasting. I don't want to boast. You know, you know, the Apostle Paul already said, right? He said earlier, I don't want to boast about anything in one of the other chapters, one of the other books. The only thing I want to boast in is Christ and him crucified. And now he says, now you guys are compelling me, and now i got to boast. I boasted in the flesh. Now I'm boasting in the spirit. It's your fault. For in nothing was I behind most enemies, apostles, though I am nothing. So I'm not behind these guys, these Judaizers, these people that I'm defending myself against. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And so, you know, signs and wonders followed the apostle Paul, and he very briefly mentions the fact that at times in his life, he would be working and he would wipe his forehead with his sweat handkerchief and he would put it down and people would pick it up and be healed by it. There, there were signs and wonders that followed the apostles, the 12 apostles. In the book of Acts, the Bible says that Peter's shadow, as Peter was walking down the street, people would put themselves in his shadow and, and be healed. And so um, there were signs and wonders. Paul mentions that. Verse 13, for what it is, for for what is in it which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me for this wrong. Kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like, the only thing I did to you was I, I, I didn't burden you for anything. I never collected an offering. I never received a salary from you. I never asked you for anything. I didn't want to be a burden to you. I collected offerings from other churches that I started and planted so that I didn't have to be a burden for you. All these other guys, they come in, the Judaizers, and they, they asked you for money, and they fleece the flock, and, and you think that's okay. So if my only fault is you, forgive me for that, he says. Now, they were saying, oh, you know why Paul doesn't charge anything? Because he ain't worth anything. People, man, they're so fickle. They're so, they're so lame. And that was what was going on. So he says, forgive me for this wrong. You know, the Bible says concerning this, it says, do not muzzle the ox while it treads the field. That's New Testament. It's an Old Testament repeated in the New Testament. And so, again, somebody, a, a laborer is worth his hire. Somebody who works in the ministry can be paid by the ministry is Bible. In verse 14, it says, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you and will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. That, that's the idea of giving. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And Paul in sincerity here says, I, I didn't want to burden you. I was here for you because I loved you in sincerity. I wanted to see you come to Jesus. Paul was a father to them. Remember last chapter, he said, I wanted to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I wanted to present you as whole, like his heart was really for them. He really genuinely cared about these people, and he tells them that here. That I wasn't here to fleece you. I wasn't here to ask something for you. I even didn't take any offering. I didn't take anything from you so that, that I wouldn't be a burden to you, so that I could minister to you. And I don't need those things. I care about you and your heart. For the children ought to, um, hey, my boys, close your ears for a minute. The children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So kids, tell your parents that verse. You want to memorize a Bible verse? That's a good one. Memorize that and go quote that to your parents. 
Like like dads, right? You don't take your kids out for ice cream and go, hey, you got a couple bucks so we can buy some ice cream? That's not normal, right? Dad buys the ice cream when he takes the kids out, and the Bible says that the parents should lay it for the kids and not vice versa. I must have missed this verse, too, because I don't uh, – never mind. I ho- I'll just say this. I hope one of my kids gets a really good job and takes care of me one day. 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, through, though, though more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Who loves like that? Paul said, the more I pour into you, the less that, that you love me back. You know, it's funny. It's human nature. It really is. And I, I don't want to whine. I don't want to whine. I don't want to whine. But I want to share this because I, I think there's meaning to it. But uh, I'm going to be careful because I'm probably going to whine. But the truth is this. You know, you know, some of the people that have hated me or been ang- as most angry or bitter at me or at some point decided they really didn't like me are people that I helped the most. And that's just, I don't know why that happens, but it does oftentimes. You know, in church sometimes we had a, a family and, and, you know, and they, we, we gave them like thousands of dollars. They got in some bad debt and we gave them like $3,000 and we poured into them. We tried to help them and um, they hated me when it was all over. Hated me. And I'm like. I don't get it, you know, and some people I never do anything for. They still love me. So if I don't do anything for you, I want you to still love me. No, but I think that's true sometimes. Like even in our family, right, like you really reach out and you try to help a family member or maybe you let them stay with you for a while. And before they moved in and you did everything you could to try to help them, everything was great. And then as soon as you try to help them, all of a sudden you're a bad guy or something. Well, that was what was happening to Paul here. Um, but, but you know what Paul's decision was? To love like Jesus. He said, I just love you anyways. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross to those that were, that were, that were killing him, those that had brutally um, beat him? What did he ask God to do for them? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Only the love of Jesus would pray for the people that, that murdered him in the middle of his murder to, to, for God to love them and bring them to heaven. You know, sometimes I think we see some, some really black and creepy people, and what we really want to say is, Lord, that guy really deserves a really place in hell for all of eternity. So would you like hurry up and speed up and get in there? You know, like we, we kind of our tendency, but the heart of God is, is to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And then Paul says um, in verse 16, the reason why I'm stumbling here is because I'm looking at the clock and I'm looking at what I got left. <laughs> I'm trying to hurry up. I want to get a little bit done. So will you guys bear with me? Can I have five minutes? I know this went a little long. Um, in verse 19, it says, 18, I urged Titus to send our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Edification is training, lifting up, equipping. And so Paul, in honesty here, says we do all things for your edification. That's the kind of church, that's the kind of pastor that you want. There's a pastor in a church who does all things for your, your edification. You're lifting up in Christ, your training, your discipleship. And then it says, For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I may be found in, by you in such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whispering, conceit, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God be humble, will humble me among you, and I shall bewail you, the King James says, which means the mourn for somebody who has died. For many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanliness or the fornication, the lewdness which they have practiced. I want you to write next to verse 21, Galatians 5, 
16 through 21. I was going to take you there and read it. I don't have time to do that. It's another list very similar to this. And, and it ends by saying those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Six times in the New Testament we get a similar list. And those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to get to that because there's a verse here coming up that I'm going to cover um, that talks about you checking whether you're born again or not, whether you're saved. And, and, and so um, we test these things, but you can't practice. Now, some of us, myself, am guilty of the things that are in this list. The difference is that those things are in my past and I have repented, as it says here, um, have not repented, but I have repented of those things. And it says who practiced such things. So an ongoing, if you're ongoing, practicing the things that are in this list, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says six times. That's something that I ask you to, to, to wrestle with, to um, consider. You know, one of the, the, the tragedies really in churches in America today, and it's very popular, is this idea where everybody goes to heaven and everybody's a child of God. And I hear, whenever I hear somebody say, oh, we're all the children of God. Now, I'm not, I'm not the most grumpy person in the world, and I'm not always, you know, looking, you know, for, to fix everybody's problems, but that's not true. We are not all the children of God. The whole world is not all the children of God. The Bible says to those who love Jesus and believe, to them he has given the right to be called the children of God. That's what the Bible says. You're not a child of God unless you're a child of God. You have to be born again to be a child of God. You know, and people don't like that term. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm just not a born again one. Those guys, they're kind of weird. Like they read their Bible and talk to Jesus all day. Listen, there's no such thing as a Christian if it's not a born-again one. Because Jesus said you must be born again. And listen, if, if a church, if a pastor, if myself, if we come every week and we give you a false sense of salvation, we're not doing you any service. L- let's look at this last verse and then we've got to wrap up. Um, looking for the one that talks about examine yourselves. In 13, in chapter 13. 13, 5, thank you. It says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Hey, is that Chinese? Do you think that's English? Let's do that. Let's, let's do exactly what the Word of God says here and just examine ourselves. I'm not trying to bring into doubt anybody's salvation. That, that's not my, my, my goal here. It's just for you to do what the Word of God says and look in the mirror. If I ask you really just today, right now, honest question. If you died today, will you go to heaven? If some of you say, I hope so. If some of you say, I think so. I want to tell you wrong answer. Unless you know so, you you might need some reconciling with God and to repent of sin and, and get right with God. Because there's no I think so or hope so in Christ. And you'll hear, let me tell you, I'm going to close my Bible to give you guys a little bit of hope. There, 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 listen, there is no, um, let's have the worship team come up. There is no other religious system. If I'm wrong, somebody approach me and let me know. There is no other religious system on planet earth. And I don't care if it's Islam or Buddhism or the LDS church or Jehovah Witnesses or anything else I can think of. Catholicism across the board within the born again family of believers, Christ followers is, is the only place that provides in Jesus the assurance of salvation. Another verse you should write down is 1 John chapter 5. In, in verse 13 is, is a verse in the Bible where, where John says, Dear brethren, I write these things so that you will know that you have eternal life. 
So we can know as Christ followers, according to John, old man John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, the one who wrote First and Second, Third John, he gives us in there the, the assurance. It does, it's not pride. It's not assumption to say, I'm going to heaven. I can know that I know that I know I'm born again by faith, by knowing and believing in the Word of God. I don't have to think so or hope so. And, and so we should self-examine and just make sure. And I hope and pray that every one of us in here are going to heaven if you died today. But just know that if you're going to heaven, if you die today, you're going to heaven because Jesus has washed your sins in the blood. Because you've repented of your sins and you've asked Jesus to come into your life. And, and, if, and if you live a life of practicing these sins that are listed in these, in, these, in these lists, these six different times in the Bible, you might want to repent of those things. Because the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But in Jesus we can know. You know, I've been at the death as a pastor. One of the things that I've had the privilege to do, I, I just on Friday was, was here in the hospital locally with a woman who was, who was on her, her dying within moments. But Christians die well. I've been there and seen Christians die, and I've, I've unfortunately had to be there when a, when a woman who was a Jehovah Witness went, went home to be with the Lord or, or she was dying. And, and there was just, even on her deathbed, there was a panic. It was a fear because there was no assurance of salvation. She didn't know according to what she believed and how she lived her life, she had to do a certain amount of bit to earn her salvation. And on her deathbed, she just wasn't positive if she had done enough or not. And that same um, truth is true across the board with all the other religions and all the other systems that are out there besides faith in Jesus as a believer. And every one of them, you have to do a certain amount. And so how do you know on your deathbed if you did enough? You don't. But listen, in Jesus, you can know. In Jesus, you can rest assured. It doesn't make you prideful. It doesn't make you arrogant. It just makes you a believer in Jesus, that you believe in the Word of God, and you know today if you died, you're going to heaven because Jesus has taken you there. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song. As we sing this last song, we're going to ask some of our pastors and leaders to come up front and pray for you. We want to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior. If you don't know today, if you're not 100% sure, Maybe you're backslidden like the prodigal son. Maybe you're just stagnant. You know, one of my favorite things as a pastor, and it's kind of like, like sick humor with me. I don't know, it's, it's twisted. But every once in a while, I'll get somebody to come up and say, Oh, pastor, in 1970, I was in the tent movement with Pastor Chuck, and I was doing ministry, and I was doing this, and everything in their faith story is 1970. And they don't see it, and they're telling me, and they're bragging all about it, and telling me all about it. In my mind, I'm going... What have you done this week? If every one of your faith stories is from 1970, from 1999, then, then there's a problem. You're stagnant in your faith. Your faith stories should be from yesterday and this week and current and things that God is doing in your life currently. So maybe in your life you're, you're just stagnant. And now today is a day to, to get the ball rolling again. Today is a day to rededicate your life and say, I really want to follow Jesus with everything I got. Maybe you, you, you're a Christ follower and you, you fell back into sin. Maybe you're of the opinion that you asked Jesus in your heart in the third grade at, at church camp and now you can live however you want. I tell you, that's, that's not true. There's a cost to discipleship and you need to get right with Jesus and, and walk with the Lord and there should be evidence in your life to self-examine as the Word of God says. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray for you guys and I'm going to ask you, if you fall into any of those categories, or maybe you just need prayer for a physical sickness or you have a thorn in your flesh and you've asked God three times to remove it and you want us to pray over you for it. There's anointing oil up front. If you want, you can request. 
and the pastors will anoint you with oil and pray over you for the healing of, of physical sickness. Maybe there's an emotional sickness. Maybe there's an emotional thorn in the flesh. But listen, please take advantage of this opportunity to get prayed over. Don't be embarrassed. It doesn't mean failure. It means victory when you come and receive prayer. So I'm going to invite you now as we sing this last song. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you need to pray over healing, come up so, so the pastors can pray for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, God. I pray, Father, for anybody in here, Lord, who might be a prodigal son who's backslidden and is off do, living a debaucherous life, God, that you would call them back to you today, God. And today they would repent and give their lives to Jesus. Maybe there's somebody in here who's just stagnant in their walk and all their faith stories and histories is a tent in 1970, Lord, that, that you would wake them up again, that you would get them moving again for Jesus. Or maybe there's somebody in here who's just never made a commitment for Jesus. We pray today would be a day of salvation, God. And today they would ask Jesus in their heart and turn their lives over to Jesus. And so, God, we pray that you would bring each person that needs to come for prayer as we sing this last song. We ask your blessing over our day. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So just come if you need prayer as we sing this last song.